0: I took my culture in because in in our culture, like people would be absolutely bloody horrified, wouldn't they? You know, like you just would never do that. So I took, you know, where I'd grown up into a situation that was a world away and tried to sort of bring in my own, yeah, beliefs and cultures and, yeah, it just makes you realise that you really need to go in with a blank slate and just watch and
1: listen and learn. Hello and welcome to a Nurse outwear podcast. My name is Danielle Causa and I have been a rural and remote nurse for most of my career. I created this podcast as an opportunity to explore and celebrate and perhaps spark some interest in rural and remote nursing. Each week we'll meet with some of the extraordinary nurses who live and work in rural and remote areas across Australia, as they tell their story about all that is beautiful and unique to rural and Remote Nursing. So join with me as we explore the stories from A Nurse Outwear. Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of A Nurse Outwear. Now my next guest is a nurse and a midwife and she's worked in remote Northern Territory as well as in Cape York and Queensland in various positions with government health as, long, as well as um, Aboriginal medical services. She's also worked in South Sudan and Ethiopia with Medicines on Frontiers. I always have trouble saying that. (laughs) She's currently the Nurse Unit Manager in Community Health in the Hunter Valley and has just started her maternity leave. So welcome. How are you, Lisa?
0: Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm great.
1: It's good that um, you've got all this spare time on your hands and you could come and share some stories with us.
0: I know. It's fantastic. I'm loving it.
1: brilliant (laughs) as as the podcast is called it's called a nurse out where so from your perspective you know you've worked in all sorts of places can you describe or finish the sentence I'm a nurse out where um
0: I would say I'm a nurse out where like the places you see and the people you meet seep into your heart and they stay there forever that's probably how I would sum it up
1: yep yeah, beautiful. Yeah, that's really so. Why did you want to work in rural and remote? Where did that sort of come from?
0: Well, I sort of grew up like my my parents were very adventurous. Like my um, dad drove overland from London to Australia, like through Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan. Yeah, and then met my mum in Alice Springs, and then they did it again together. So I grew up in like a very kind of adventurous family. Like we are always going off and doing things. So I think I had that sense of adventure, and then. I remember when I was a child like probably a teenager we watched this documentary that some friend from somewhere around the world sent us on a VHS and it was like (laughs) this this crazy Cockney English bloke who um, recruited a bunch of people and got this truck and he drove like overland like through Africa and it was just this doco about you know these like they had no idea what they was doing. I think the guy who recruited everyone like the leader had lived in Africa but everyone else just had no idea and the truck would get bogged and then have to dig it out and you know it was just such a good doco and I remember there was a nurse on the truck and at one point there was like a little child who was really unwell and they were they transported her from like one village to another they were going through and she was you know like rendering like medical assistance. And I was like, oh that that's what I want to do. Like that's that's what I want to do. Yeah. So that's probably what attracted me. Yeah. To to get into nursing and go out to these crazy places.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. So <laughs> um, almost like travel guides on a VHS. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. I'm not, not sure where the inspiration yeah. comes from these days but um yeah
0: <laughs> yeah it was so it was so funny like I remember at one point this guy had like <clears throat> got this jigger worm in his foot and he'd kind of scraped a the what? top of his foot a jigger worm and it's like this worm that gets into your sole of your feet and he was just like curling this worm around like real casually just like pulling it out of his foot I was like oh wow yeah and I don't know, I don't know why that made me think I want to go there but
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want a jigger worm yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I don't know but
0: <clears throat> it was great it was a good jocko
1: yeah wow and then can you tell me about your work with I, I can never pronounce it
0: with medicine solstice or MSF it? MSF, that's easier
1: <laughs> can you tell me a bit about your work with them
0: yeah so um I I've kept sort of putting it off and putting it off because I think you know like the I guess the confidence to do it was not there Um, so I made sure that I'd had like plenty of ED, and then I'd worked in Northern Territory for about a year and a half before I signed up and um, but yeah it was amazing it's probably the best thing that I've ever done my first um, field mission was in uh, South Sudan and I was there for six months so I arrived in 2011 uh, a week before the vote for independence between the north and the south Um, and then yeah I arrived in the field I was supposed to be running mobile clinics so going out to villages and starting out clinics and the day I arrived they were like oh yeah we need you to start a vaccination campaign um tomorrow so I was like uh, I, uh, uh what like so yeah I thank god they had amazing logisticians it helped me like prep everything but yeah the next day we packed everything up and we went out to villages and set up and started vaccinating the returnees so Because the vote was coming a lot of um a lot of people that like south sudanese that lived in the north were traveling back to south sudan to and so we were catching these children that were you know had never been vaccinated before so that was that was really cool um we ended up seeing a a lot of conflict because unfortunately due to the vote the north ended up um bombarding the south so we ended up you know like treating war wounded and we all got evacuated and, well, twice actually. So, yeah, it was wow. crazy six months. I feel like it was six years in, lived in six months, but it was just, yeah, it was really hard. Like it was difficult. It was, the weather was, you know, 45 degrees with no air conditioning, like, you know, crazy conditions, but it was brilliant. Like it, yeah, it was really bright. And then, um, so I think after that, I, yeah, decided to do midwifery after that. So I studied mid and then after I finished mid, I went and um, picked up another field mission. I was meant to actually go to Afghanistan. So I was all ready to go and um, help set up this um, like neonatal intensive care. We say neonatal intensive care. It's not our version of a neonatal intensive care. Like there's no way I could go and set that up. It's, you know, like the basics of the basics. And then I think it was about, like 10 days before I was meant to go, I was actually up in Aracoon in Cape York, and I got a phone call to say, uh, look, it's nothing's been the Ministry of Health won't approve on the on the project. Like, really sorry. Um, so yeah, it's been cancelled. And I had like a backpack full of like coats and hijabs, and I was like, oh, you know, I'd sold my car, I'd like kind of packed up my unit, and I sort of said, Well. Oh, okay and then I rang the um recruitment person back and I said hey look like I'm I'm ready to go somewhere like is there anywhere else you want to send me and she goes oh hang on I'll get back to you and she rang me back she's like yep we'll send you to Ethiopia so, oh, wow. so I'll go here instead which were, I needed no coats there <laughs> it was very <laughs> very hot um but it was like I was there for four months it was really challenging it was really really difficult yeah it was um a a big emergency context, the project had just been set up to deal with, a life. this was four years later and civil war had actually broken out in South Sudan. So we were dealing with um, South Sudanese refugees fleeing across the border into Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just so challenging. Like I ended up working in the, um, I I thought I was doing outpatients again, mobile clinics, but ended up getting put into like an inpatient therapeutic feeding center. And we had it just the mortality rate was, you know, between one and three children a week. It was a, a day, sorry, it was just really, really challenging. Yeah, so, so yeah, that was my second, and um, yeah, I <laughs> that's sort of where I left it. To be honest, I got back from that one, and yeah, I, I probably would, well, not now that I'm about to drop a baby, but I would love to go <laughs> <back>. <laughs> again at some point somewhere. But um, I'd probably avoid that kind of context in Ethiopia because it was just. You know, some people can do it and, and survive through that, but yeah, that wasn't quite for me. But anyway. And
1: do you think there were transferable skills? Like was there something that you thought, oh, I wish I'd have done before I went over there? And was there things that you brought from there back home?
0: Well, I don't think there was anything when I went over that I thought I'm gonna need because the is so basic. Do you know what I mean? Like you've you're like basically giving you know, like IV fluids, or you might be, um, you know, like, yeah, doing a fluid resuscitation or dealing with a hyperglycemic child. Like, this is more in the um, outpatients. I think, I mean, I would have loved a wealth of knowledge in tropical um, medicine, you know, but, but I think you adapt really quickly. Um, and I think more than anything, you really need that adventurous kind of openness, like, I think if you come into the field and you think, oh, uh, like, you know, I've got this down pat, I know what I'm doing. Um, I've, you know, I, I sort of worked with people who, you know, worked in big, big centres in big cities. They didn't quite cope as well, I think, because, yeah, and and MSF really values remote area nurses because they want people that are flexible and can work with very limited, limited resources. So I didn't so much feel like, Oh, I wish I had those skills. Actually, the one skill I really needed but didn't have was Excel, believe it or not. Oh really? Microsoft Excel, yeah. <laughs> because everything like was done on Excel and I I I never really even used it. So I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, of all the things <laughs> you think you'd need. And the field was Microsoft Excel. That was in South Sudan. So and I think like I definitely brought things back, but probably things that more like leadership skills, I think I brought back. Yeah. Rather than um, your clinical skills. Yeah. I think, I think working remote and working MSF, it sort of matches up quite well with, yeah, the skills that you, that you um bring to both sides.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you've worked all sorts of places and done all sorts of things. Is there any, like you've already shared some stories already, but is there yeah. anything that particularly sticks in your mind of working in rural and remote areas
0: um yeah I, I, I've i got a couple um one actually that just came to mind was um I was working up in Arrokoon and um we decided that we were going to try and get away on a Friday afternoon and go up to Bramwell I think it was Bramwell station or one of the stations it was about two hours drive um for the night just to have you know some drinks and and a meal and whatnot we'd been working there I think about four months without getting out of the community so I was very very keen so there's about four of us that were going to go and um we weren't leaving the community short like we had someone who was gonna be on call but that person was I think they were coming on at seven anyway so um my friend Josh had actually um got a carton of Coronas the week before we were going from Weeper. And because he couldn't bring them into the community because it was a dry community, he actually, he'd actually buried them like out on this junket like before in the bush, <laughs> like before you come into the community. So we're like all really keen, you know, to get out. And so, of course, like before we want to go, we have a woman who's heavily intoxicated who has a head injury and a labouring woman as well, like coming to the clinic. So being that I was the only midwife, I needed to stay back and then Josh stayed back as well to help with the head injury. Um, so we told the other two nurses to go ahead to the station and then we catch up with them and we are waiting for the RFDS plane to arrive. So it was like an intense afternoon. It's one of those Friday afternoon specials where you actually have a plan to do something for like once in a remote community and of course everything goes wrong. <laughs>
1: That's when everything comes in, so yep.
0: <laughs> just like, yeah, one of those afternoons. And so we finally, um, the RFDS plane came in the labouring woman, thank goodness, was like, you know, not about to just drop a baby but needed to go to cancer. We got her on the plane. We got the head injury on the plane and then we finally like jumped in the car. It was like three hours later and drove out of town. And as we're driving out of town, <laughs> I can like hear Josh going, oh, no, oh, oh, no. And I was like, what, what? And we saw that there was bushfire had come through where he'd buried the beer. <laughs> <laughs> everything was just like charcoal and dust and yeah we got out of the car and we searched and searched and searched and it was just like we never found it, like it just- <laughs> and so yeah we ended up getting to the station we had a great night but it was just one of those things that's just you know completely yeah never make a plan you know when you're in a remote community because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something will always come up and change that plan so yeah <laughs> So there's
1: a random a, box of beer hidden somewhere where, out in the wilderness. Yeah.
0: In somewhere, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Either that, or it's like all exploded to glass. But
1: oh yeah,
0: in you know, the yeah. bushfire. But who knows? Yeah, it's going to get lucky one day. You never know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Archaeologists in thousands that's of right. years will come across a neat little package.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. But yeah, that was um,
1: that was a good time. That's awesome. That's very cool. So, you know, you've worked in a lot of different areas and you've worked overseas in very remote areas. What are some of the things that you might miss while you're out in these remote areas? Um, I miss family, like definitely.
0: Um, you know, like just being able to like randomly catch up with someone for a coffee or, you know, brunch or something, like you just, yeah, you don't really get to do those things. Um. Yeah, I guess I just miss, you know, like being able to pop down to the shop if, you know, I want to get something. Um, just yeah, the convenience of life out of the right community. I think I miss like Wi-Fi. You know, like when I was, you know, in Arakoon all these years ago, there was no Wi-Fi. There was no like <clears throat> the internet. You couldn't even load up your Facebook. Like it was just just those kind of things. Yeah, you know, you really miss like yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, you know, hairdressers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah (laughs) all that kind of stuff so yeah yeah but um but you know you've got sorry go on no you go you've got phones like you can always call someone for a chat so that was that was always a blessing
1: yeah 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 so how do you look after yourself in these rural and remote areas because you know you said some of the experiences you've talked about already must have been really challenging how do you look after your own mental health
0: um Um, I like to be I'm lucky that I enjoy my own time but I also love people as well so you know like being social like making new friends um, catching up with you know friends after work always I think really really helps just to debrief and you know even if it's just a chat in the veranda for an hour or something after the day or like on a weekend or something that I find that really helpful and yeah, I think talking to friends and family on the phone. Um walking, getting out and getting out into the fresh air. I think that really helps. Sometimes like just a good walk around the community, you know, like saying hi to the kids and <clears throat> I love photography. So taking lots of photos always kind of makes you appreciate, you know, why you're out there. Why sorry, why you're out there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um and a big hard drive with lots of um, series and (laughs) really helpful too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. Is that what you do to fill in your downtime? What did you do on your days off?
0: Yeah, usually um, I used to cook a lot. So, yeah, like I get really into baking or, you know, like meal prepping or whatever just, you know, because I find it weirdly soothing and, yeah, just watching some things on, you know, some crappy TV, like whatever's available and yeah chatting to family and friends really that's kind of yeah and you know like often someone will have a boat or know someone with a boat so you can go out I'm not I'm not I can't catch a fish to save my life but you know I just enjoy the enjoy the outdoors and yeah enjoy sort of the adventure of it all yeah I think that's really one of the special things about being remote is you know getting to see places that like even well-traveled people who've traveled Australia like never get to see you know we're we're so privileged to be able to go into these you know remote aboriginal communities and and get access to these incredible places that that yeah not many people get to see so so yeah yeah absolutely
1: absolutely Mm. and I think it's funny um like I'm down in Launceston by myself at the moment so I haven't got my family around but like you I like to cook as well and I think it's funny that um, that seems to be a lot of what people do when they're by themselves they you do a big cook up and then you've got like spaghetti bolognese for a month or (laughs) you've got so much cake that you're feeding everyone else at (laughs) work
0: (laughs) yeah it's so true yeah yeah
1: yeah But everybody gets into that habit. So you can, you'll never go without cake. You won't go without a meal. Like there's always something.
0: (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And you need it too. Like, because, you know, it's not like you've got like Woolies down the corner or a beautiful bakery. Like, yeah. So when someone brings in a cake, you're like, oh, yes, this is just so, you know, this is awesome. Yeah. So Mm. did
1: you find, I found too that there was often that um, sense of community amongst the nursing staff that, you would like you'd have a big cook up as if you were cooking for family, and you'd bring stuff like you'd have a bring a plate kind of thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We'd we'd often do that, like on a Friday or Saturday or something. Like, um, you know, everyone would go around to someone's house and bring a plate. And one community, oh, I was and Yama actually. They used to have a a lunch once a week where um all the staff would bring in a plate, and it was so good. Like it's just a really nice way to yeah like get to know people more and yeah yeah it was lovely so yeah i find that too
1: yep <laughs> <laughs> so what what are your top 3 tips if someone's thinking that they might want to join the rural and remote nursing or midwifery workforce what would be your advice to them um i'd say
0: get as much ed experience as you can um if you if you can get some pediatric experience because you will be seeing children um and I think you know your primary healthcare stuff you can learn like you you, you've got time to sort of you know leave a patient in a room in the middle of the day to go and ask a doctor about or go and call a doctor or ask another staff member about you know looking in their eye or looking in their ear but you know you don't have time at three in the morning when someone's coming in with a chest pain to be like Wanting to ask questions, so I think the more ED experience that you have, um, the better it's going to be for you. The easier the transition is going to be, um, but not don't put it off too long. <laughs> if you want to do it, go and do it. Um, but yeah, bring an open mind and bring a respect for culture. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the biggest things is is we really know nothing when it comes to culture. Or I knew nothing like. And I just remember being, you know, just feeling like such a idiotic white woman, you know, so frequently. But yeah, like I think just going quietly, have that respect. Um, yeah, that that's sort of the best advice um, I can give. I remember working in the Northern Territory, and I think it was my first month. Then I was working with an Aboriginal health worker and a um, older man came into the clinic and I was having a conversation with her and then she just wouldn't talk to me like wouldn't answer me and I'm going oh, like can you hear what I'm saying like are you okay and she just wouldn't look at me wouldn't talk to me I was kind of like totally avoiding me and I'm like are you all right like and I just was so confused but the man who'd come in was a poison cousin and she couldn't speak when he was in the same room as her but you know like I I had no idea and it's just those fumbles that you make that make you realize holy like there is such a massive you know like culture that we're stepping into and we just know so little so um yeah don't do what I did and <laughs> we're more aware but and I you thought- know like, once the patient had left like she had a real like she was just cracking herself laughing and all like the other health health workers were having a good giggle but but I was like I thought there was something wrong with that. Do you know what I mean? Because she just suddenly like kind of froze and wouldn't wouldn't speak to me. But um, yeah.
1: And I so. think it's really lovely that they're so rich in culture, but they also want to share and yeah. teach, and for you to take some of that on board. So, like you say, if you go gently and kindly, yeah, you will learn so much about culture just Absolutely. by being exposed to it. And and yep. and I guess. <sighs> I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I guess they, they want you to learn. They want yep. you to understand so they bring you along with them.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it really is um, you know, a credit to Aboriginal health workers because it must be absolutely bloody exhausting having, you know, like constantly to teach people, you know, about culture. Like it's not just, you know, because there is such a changeover of staff. Um, but they but in my experience, the same as you, there's always such a willingness to to, you know, to share that that culture and wisdom. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, and it's a privilege for us. Absolutely. It is an absolute privilege for us. You're right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just remembered another story in Ethiopia. and It's probably not a great story, so you can cut this one out if you want to, but um, it just is such a good example of, you know, being that white woman who, you know, comes in and kind of thinks she probably knows best in a way. So we, in the ICU, we had, like, as I said, a huge mortality rate. So, um, you know, losing between one and three children a day. And the, the, the process was after um, a baby had died, they would be in the same room as all the other mothers with really sick children and babies as well. And so the child would pass away and then the nurses would come in and they would... Um, put like cotton wool in the baby's mouth and in the baby's bottom or the child's mouth and bottom and bind the child's hands, bind the child's feet and then wrap them up in a shroud and this was all in front of mothers who potentially were going to lose their children and I sort of was watching this day after day and I thought this this isn't right like these mothers you know shouldn't be exposed to having to watch this you know so I said to my nurse supervisor hey like let's let's go and do this elsewhere let's take the child and the and the family and let's go and you know remove them from the space and she was like oh okay you know like no problem and so we did and then the next day um the interpreter came up to me and he said oh look the mothers want to speak to you about what happened yesterday and I sort of said oh okay like no problem and they said why did you do that like why did you remove that child you know from us and I said oh I thought that you know, I thought that you wouldn't want to see, you know, like this child that had died, and they said, um, "This is this is us. This is our, this is not just her child. It's our child, and we go through this together. <clears throat> and this is we're we're there for that mother, and we're there for that child, and we don't want to be separated from that. We're 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 her. We're together." And I was just like, "Oh my god!" You know, like it just makes you realize you've come into a situation and thought you were doing the best thing, but you've really got no bloody clue what you're doing. So, yeah, it was such a really incredible lesson to learn. Um, yeah, it was a hard lesson to learn, but, yeah, and I was so thankful for those women to actually speak up to that interpreter and for that interpreter to come and get me and, you know, like teach me, like, what, you know, what I'd done wrong and and, yes, to prevent it from happening again in the future.
1: And I think to explain it to you, with that understanding and kindness again
0: you know there was
1: no aggression there was no no, you know we're going to run you out of town that kind of stuff it was you need to understand why this is the way we do stuff and when I think when you approach any culture that way there's that compassion for the person yeah yeah exactly yeah that's
0: right and I think they they understood where I was coming from as well I think they They understood that I was trying to make things easier on them, Um, so that was that was nice that they had that respect and understanding. But um, yeah, it was just it's just a, I think it's a perfect example of, you know, taking I took my culture in because in in our culture, like people would be absolutely bloody horrified, wouldn't they? You know, like you just would never do that. So I took, you know, where I'd grown up into. A situation that was a world away, and tried to sort of bring in my own, yeah, beliefs and cultures, and yeah, it just makes you realise that you really need to go in with a blank slate and just watch and listen and learn. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. and talk. You know, talk to them, talk and understand yeah. from their yeah. perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. No, that's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> no worries. Um, well, I've had a lovely chat talking with you this evening and um, yeah, it's been a long time coming. So hopefully, um, you know, the next few weeks are nice and restful for you and, you. Um, yeah, good luck with with your new bubby and hopefully thank we'll talk again soon.
0: Yep, hopefully. That'll be great. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you.
1: this has sparked your interest and you'd like some more information about this episode or perhaps how to take the leap and explore rural and remote nursing you can contact me and check out my website anurseoutwear.com.au or follow me on Facebook and Instagram by searching for a nurse Outwear. Remember like subscribe and share them with your friends.